3: This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Senator Bernie Sanders is probably going to be calling in later this hour, and I've got a rant for you about vaccine passports. But right now, they're saying it's gonna it could be as high as 115 in Portland. I remember <laughs> I remember back in the 70s in Arizona. When they thought 100 was a big deal, I mean, 115, honest to God. Odds are it's, really, it's probably going to hit 110, but, you know, it's still, wow. Anyhow, there's a lot in the news. The building that has collapsed, this condo that has collapsed down in Florida, there's 159 people missing. You know, it's way too early to even speculate about what caused this. But we'll follow up on that as time goes on. Right now, they're trying to see if there are any people you know trapped under the rubble and uh, you know everybody's hoping and praying for for something but 159 people this is this is terrible the article that i published over at hartmanreport.com is uh, titled dear democrats don't negotiate with terrorist lovers i am referring specifically to the republicans with much fanfare joe biden came out with five democrats and five republicans and said we have a deal on infrastructure now it was a measly little you know about a little less than two hundred billion dollars a year over a five or six year period deal it wouldn't have done much i mean yeah, it's a drop in the well, it's a it's more than a drop in the bucket but and and over on the washington post for example today jennifer rubin the, the former republican conservative columnist for the washington post is going on and on about how see, this proves you can do things that are bipartisan. Isn't that great? But uh, about an hour after this was announced by President Biden, Lindsey Graham came out and said, "Well, actually, let me get the exact quote because it's got uh, <laughs> it's got some bleep words in it. He said, there's no way. He said, you look like an effing idiot now. I don't mind bipartisanship, but I'm not going to do a suicide mission. Right. The Republicans are ready to compromise. You know, there is a messaging war going on right now. On the Republican side, they are laying out six simple messages that they are hammering Day after day after day, you can listen to Fox News for one hour any time of the day. You will hear all six of these messages in all probability, certainly during primetime. Listen to right-wing hate radio. It's all over there. You look at the the right-wing websites. These are their messages, the Republicans' messages to the American people. As we're heading into an election in 2022, that if they can capture just a few more state houses, they can call a constitutional convention and rewrite our Constitution and they might be able to take back the house and senate which brings a screeching halt to everything the democrats are trying to do merrick garland by the way the uh, our attorney general announced that he's going to sue georgia for suppressing voting rights uh where's he going to sue them at the supreme court and who's on the supreme court oh my god but anyhow, here are the six messages that the Republicans are putting forward. Number one, Democrats are evil baby killers. They delight in killing babies. They drink their blood. They put, their, they put baby parts in vaccines. And they're, they're so evil that Republicans are obligated by their patriotism to block every piece of legislation, every judge, and turn Democratic presidencies into failures. That's message number one. Message number two, Democrats want to replace white people in their jobs, homes, and wealth and are willing to give those white people's jobs, homes, and wealth to illegal immigrants and black people via socialism. Message number three. Democrats want white people terrorized by black and Hispanic criminals and plan to get there by, quote, defunding the police. Message number four. Democrats accuse Republicans of trying to suppress the vote when the Democrats, in fact, are the ones who committed massive voter fraud in the 2020 election, and they plan to do it again. To save America, Republicans must stop them by tightening voter eligibility and removing fraudulent people from the voting rolls in those fraud-prone black neighborhoods. Message number five from the GOP. Democrats want to turn your children into homosexuals and drag queens, their language, By changing laws, bathrooms, sports, and school curriculum. And number six, Democrats want to make your children hate themselves and you, because you're white. And they're doing this with critical race theory at every level, from the military to the media to your local kindergarten. Now, none of those things are true. Not one of them. But I can tell you, Republican voters believe them to be true. So what is the Democrats' message? Well, we heard it from Joe Biden the democrats message going into the 2022 election we like working with republicans they're credible trustworthy patriotic and they're our friends yeah that's a message that's going to win that's going to get us lots of votes and that was the you know the essential message of you know with five republicans right like five republicans is going to is going to make something happen and as i said you know lindsey graham said no meanwhile You've got this guy over on One America News who's saying he's got a final solution to the problem of Democrats stealing the 2020 election. Just execute them. Honest to God, he's calling for the execution of thousands of Democrats. So who's doing this negotiating with Republicans that's going to help us win the election in 2022? I say that sarcastically, you know it's going to help the Republicans. It enhances their credibility. By the way, the five Republicans who were standing next to Biden, 100% of them, all five of them, voted against a January 6th commission. They don't want to investigate the terrorists aligned with their own party. These are our partners. So the group that they represent is called the Problem Solvers. The Problem Solvers are an offshoot of the old no-labels group. No Labels group was started by Joe Lieberman and a bunch of hedge fund billionaires. And you know their mission is to blow up anything that the Democratic Party wants. And there's a bunch of Democrats who are in on this. I mean, you know, Mark Pocan, who's a regular on this program, when he first went to Congress, he wrote a whole op-ed about this over at Huffington Post that I linked to in my article The hartman Report. Mark Pocan, Congressman Pocan, good progressive. Got sucked in in the you know, first day in Congress. Problem solvers, no labels. Hey, Mark, come on with us. We can work together and make things. Oh, And Mark is like, okay. And then he says, by the way, who's funding your group? And their response was, and this is a verbatim quote, we can quietly remove you from our list if you want. Pocan says, I was duped. So, because of these problem solvers in the Democratic Caucus, now there is one possibility here, by the way, that, that, that this is that I'm giving them too much credit, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But because of the pro, these so-called problem solvers in the Democratic Caucus, the message now that the Democratic Party is sending to Democratic voters in the hopes that they're going to get these, you know, Democratic voters, particularly young people and new voters who haven't voted before, because that's really what the Democrats need. The message that they're sending to these people is basically this. We'd love to get things done that 70 or 80 percent of the American public and even a majority of Republicans want. You know, things like a public option, uh, ending student debt, taxing the rich, raising wages through unionization. We'd love to do those things, but we can't. Because our Republican friends object. And we have to bow to their filibuster because our Republican friends are so credible and trustworthy and patriotic. Really? When Mitch McConnell wanted to get beer bong Brett on the Supreme Court, he changed the filibuster. All the Republicans voted to change the filibuster and say, hey, you know, the filibuster no longer applies to Supreme Court justices. And then he canceled the summer recess and spent you know, three months jamming judges into the, into the federal courts, right-wing, hardcore judges. It is time for the Democrats to say enough is enough. It's time for Schumer to start, and Biden to start twisting some arms seriously. There are things that these problem-solver Democrats want, and there are things that they fear. LBJ knew how to do this. He got the Civil Rights Act passed over the objection. Every single Democrat from the South hated it. He got it passed anyway. He got the the Voting Rights Act passed. He got Medicare passed. He got Medicaid passed. He got the Great Society. He got all kinds of programs passed, food stamps. It can be done. You've just got to stand up on your back feet and say, enough. Because if Democrats can't demonstrate to the voters that they can take names and kick ass, if they can't demonstrate that they can change the filibuster the way McConnell did for beer bong Brett Kavanaugh, if they can't demonstrate that to the voters, then you're going to have a repeat of 2016 where voters you know, looked at the candidates and said, eh, I don't think I need to vote this year. Hillary's got this in the bag. Everything's good and they don't show up. And with this election, this 2022 election, and the 2024 election, it's not just Democrats and Republicans on the ballot. It's democracy itself. So Biden, Schumer, and the problem solvers in the Democratic caucus need to wake the hell up respectfully. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back with your calls in just a moment. It's talk media for the sane among us. Yes, there are some of us still left. Nick in Sacramento. Hey, Nick, what's on your mind today?
0: Hi, Tom. It's an honor to talk with you.
3: Thank you, Nick. Back at you. um,
0: I wanted to uh, talk about how it bothers me how bad the Democrats are at branding Mm. because the Republican Party is just you just spoke about how their messaging very tightly very
3: specifically very rigorously and you know I wrote a book about this in 2008 called Cracking the Code about you know how to do political messaging because I was hoping the democrats would pay attention in the 2008 election now they they you know they ended up winning that election which was a great thing but this whole issue of branding has not been taken seriously by the Democrats uh, generally. And, and part of the problem, again, is that, you know, their party has been corrupted by, by these billionaires with a no-labels crowd.
0: Sure. But even like Rachel Maddow and people on MSNBC, they call the uh, January 6th attack uh, the insurrection
3: or the riot. They should be calling it a terrorist attack. Which is Every what it is. Terrorist. That's what the FBI calls it. Yeah. You know, Chris Wray, yeah. t- yeah. a, a week and a half ago in front of Congress, they said, you know, basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but I forget who was asking the questions. But, you know, he said, what would you call, you know, what happened on January 6th? And Chris Ray said this was a terrorist attack. These people are terrorists. Right. And the media should be calling it that. But they yes. don't. No. And, the, and by but, the way, there the, were a what? bunch of Republicans who stood up on the stage with Donald Trump and, and encouraged it to happen. Mo Brooks at the front of that line. Right. And, and you know, yeah. Eric Swalwell is trying to sue him. I mean, he chased him around to serve him on this. And, and uh, you know, now Brooks is suing Swalwell's process server. I Abby, mean, it's just this. Hey, yes, I'm with you, Nick. We need to refer to this as a, as a terrorist attack. And, the, and we need to be referring to these people as terrorists. Period. Full stop.
0: Right. And for instance, like the COVID pandemic, it should be called the Republican Holocaust. I mean...
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm wary of hijacking the word Holocaust. You know, you're going to get pushback from, you you know, there, from people who yeah. are legitimately concerned yeah. with that word being diluted. But the Republican slaughter of the innocents, the Republican slaughter of Americans, the, you know, the Trump slaughter, any of those things, I get it. And I keep talking about this. I mean, you know, this Delta variant is going to be stage four of Donald Trump's, you know, killing hundreds of thousands of Americans who didn't have to die. The Brookings Institution published this paper. 400,000 Americans didn't have to die if they had listened to doctors instead of Republicans. Nick, thank you. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Dr. Eric Feigelding is back with us. He is the Delta and Delta COVID Plus. This brand new, brand new variant is here with us. He's an epidemiologist and health economist and adjunct senior fellow at the American Federation of Scientists, FAS.org. His Twitter handle is Dr. Eric, E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G. And uh, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you should get over there and do so. Dr. Feigelding, welcome back. Tell us about this Delta variant and the Delta Plus variant of the Delta variant and what this is going to mean for largely red counties all over the country. We're seeing this now in Oregon, where we've got the blue county here around Portland is just doing fine, it seems. But some of the outlying counties, particularly in the rural areas that went heavily for Trump, their ICUs are starting to fill up fast.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. The Delta variant is the main worrisome, the main variant of concern that the WHO and CDC have declared is very worrisome. And it is twice as transmissible as the previous variant. And it is about uh, two and a half to four times greater hospitalization risk. If you get it, your chance of being hospitalized is two and a half to four times higher than the original strain. And in vaccinations, you really need two doses. Because with one dose, the efficacy is around 30% or even less. Uh, Some people say even less in some studies for one dose. And two-dose, you know, AstraZeneca is about 60%, Pfizer is about 83 to 88%. Now, that sounds good, but that's much lower than it was before. And uh, the hospitalization efficacy is no longer 100% protection anymore. It's like 94 And you have to just realize that it, this virus is, is so fast-spreading. It's not just airborne like a previous one, but all you need is just 5 to 10 seconds. That's, quote, unquote, five to 10 seconds of fleeting exposure, and you can get it. And this is what we're seeing in Australia. So lots of states and uh, counties in the U.S. are well, well at a very low um, vaccination rate, well below the national average of 45 percent. Um, and, you know, we're seeing outbreaks, even in Israel, which has 60 percent fully vaccinated, and Israel is still seeing a surge. And so given how low some of the other red states and counties are, uh
3: it's going to be really really bad. Yeah, there's a there's a uh, an article in today's Washington Post where they're talking about this one limo driver, uh airport limo driver in Australia who apparently picked up the the delta variant and then they uh, it goes on to say video footage shows the limo driver infecting strangers at a shopping mall and in a cafe through only fleeting contact this is your five seconds just you know breathing the same air and then uh, a professor at the university of canterbury new zealand or a researcher rather says after just three chains of transmission there'd be eight times as many cases on average so where the original variant may have caused ten cases the delta variant could cause eighty cases in the same mm-hmm. time um, it, I, yeah. i'm thinking that one of two things is going to happen in the next month or two in the united states Either there's going to be a great awakening that that these parts of the country that are just buried in Fox News where they're not hearing the kind of conversation that you and I are having right now, in fact, they're hearing the opposite, Um, that either they're going to wake up and they're going to figure out what's going on and maybe even Fox will start covering it, or we're going to see a great dying in this country. Am I exaggerating in, in asserting that? I don't think you're uh, wrong in any way. I,
2: I, there's nothing you said that's going to that gonna be um, way off the mark. Uh, in India, for example, where the, you know, the big uh, epidemic last month, that's the Delta variant. The Indian variant is the Delta variant. And that one caused, on average, we estimate 1.4 million deaths in India. Now, lower range, half a million, upper range, three to four million. But that is a huge number. And uh, basically, you know, uh, if that happened in the U.S. Uh, on that kind of scale, it would be horror. Now, obviously, vaccinations are higher in the U.S. And uh, back double vaccinated people are going to be 94% protected. But A, uh, the, there's still 55% of America that's not fully vaccinated. And of the vaccinated, there's still that 6%. So you add that up together, it, it's, it, it's a it's a stark, stark reality of we're going to see a surge. Yeah. Yes, you can enjoy a relatively safe existence if you're fully vaccinated, but many people are not. And even if they are in red states or in county, there are many immunocompromised people. There's children that are not vaccinated, and children do suffer COVID and long COVID, even if they don't die. And one in 100 kids with alpha variants are hospitalized. It's the 1% hospitalization rate for children with a Delta variant, according to the UK data. And I don't know if anyone really wants to play the Russian roulette with one in a hundred chance of getting a kid hospitalized. I don't know, I wouldn't. And that is just the serious word. There's lots of adults that are immunocompromised from either taking certain medications or have certain cancers or other immune illnesses, and of course, children, and also an elderly, The efficacy wanes over time. So I don't expect it to be 94% protection against hospitalization, even if you're fully vaccinated among the elderly, because in the elderly, it wanes much, much faster
3: than young adults. Yeah, there was a piece the Associated Press was running yesterday afternoon where they were quoting a fellow who's the CEO of a hospital chain in Missouri, and he was pointing out that they've got a county with a 15% vaccination rate, and he's just freaking out. I mean, he was literally tweeting Fox News saying, please cover this and the CEO of a hospital chain. This is serious stuff. You mentioned two vaccines versus one vaccine. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a one-shot vaccine. Mm-hmm. Is that included in that kind of equation? If somebody's had the J&J vaccine, should they be talking to their physician about also getting the Pfizer two-shot?
2: You hit the nail right on the tip. The problem is that we don't know about the Johnson Johnson. Johnson Johnson is by definition a one-shot vaccine. It's not authorized as a two-shot vaccine. But we know that it's problematic. One shot AstraZeneca, not good. One shot of Pfizer, not good. Again, only in the 30% range. So that's a huge, huge drop. By the way, over the old strains, one shot used to give you like 70%, which is decent. But one shot with just in the 30s, it's really low. Now, Johnson Johnson, we just don't know the exact amount. I think it will likely protect you from hospitalization mostly. But previously, remember, Johnson Johnson – a uh, Severe disease hospitalization protection was more like 90% after a month and a half. So it was never you know, 100%. So we have to be really careful. A lot of people, the number one most question asked question right now that I get is, what do I do if I have J&J? And I think the, I don't have an answer, but a lot of people have changed from AstraZeneca to Pfizer. Lots of European countries advised it. Canada now advised anyone who got the first shot, should then they could switch to Pfizer, Moderna. I can't give you official uh, advice, but I'm mm-hmm. just saying many other countries are doing that. And and we just don't know yet about one shot job changing.
3: Yeah, And we don't know any side effects or consequences that would be negative to somebody who's already had the J&J say a month or three ago and then says, you know, goes to their doc or, or back to the county health department or whatever and says I would like to either get a second J&J shot or start the the two-shot routine for Pfizer or Moderna, whatever's available. Uh, do we know anything about that?
2: Well, this mixing of vaccines, there's trials going on. There's a second J&J booster trial also finishing as well. But the number one thing I've mostly heard is that the most common thing it seems to be people switching from, in other countries, AstraZeneca to a Pfizer or Moderna. Right. But these so are
3: unvaccinated people.
2: Yeah. I well, get it. No, among the first dose, AstraZeneca people, they're switching to the mRNA. Oh, so, for the um, second presumably, shot. Presumably, yeah, for the second shot. Now, for J, this is what I'm saying because the analogous situation here is: should J and J get a second J and J? That's not technically approved, but technically, if you go to a pharmacy, they will give you a different vaccine if you waited more than six weeks. I know that's the official rule, mm-hmm. and. Um, and they can't
3: really stop you. So, and there's no known side effects to getting a second shot if it's more than six weeks out. Is that correct?
2: Well, no, it, it's just that they, they we don't have the data. This is why I'm saying this is right. not official medical advice. Right, I'm no, I get it. Well, I get it, you're, uh, not, you're, you're not advising. We're speculating here. But you know, we're speculating, but I'm speculating, based on on other country data. Because right. Canada, as the federal government, has officially declared, everyone who got first shot AstraZeneca but hasn't gotten second shot, please switch to mRNA. That's what uh, Canada is now advising, oh, And uh, many European countries are vied the same thing. So given that precedent, I'm going with given that precedent, it seems like the precedent is switch to M- mRNA when into
3: health. Right, right. We're talking with Dr. Eric Feigelding, Adjunct Senior Fellow at the American Federation of Scientists and Epidemiologists and Health Economists, Dr. E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G at Twitter and FAS.org on the web. Anything you want to add to that, Dr. Feigolding? We have about 30 seconds. I think people definitely need to double vaccinate. The window
2: for the U.S., it climbed from 10% to 30% Delta variant in less than a week, two weeks. The window until it really surges is about one month, whenever it will dominate. And so, everyone, this is your last chance. Last window to get fully vaccinated before Delta variant becomes
3: dominant. So please go out. And coming, back- in, coming to a tone near you. Dr. Eric Feigelding, thanks so much. It's always great talking with you. I really appreciate the level of information and expertise you bring to Take this. Care. Thank you. Thank you. Great speaking with you. And once again, you follow him on Twitter. He's, he's just great uh, at uh, DR, as in Dr. Eric, E R I C D I N G. This is the Tom Hartman program. I'm also uh, ranting about this over at HartmanReport.com. I've got an article up with a whole bunch of links to different uh, articles and science and things on this topic. This is very concerning stuff, and you know, I think the the next battle, the really, I'm not a fan of war metaphors, but this is something that where I think you can probably apply war metaphors and not be considered nuts the next battle here is going to be convincing people in red counties and I'm saying counties very specifically because even red states very often usually have at least one major city in them that is blue and in these blue areas if you look at the blue counties across the United States you have vaccination rates above seventy percent I mean you know way above seventy percent in many cases at least among adults if you add in you know people under 18 it changes but you know or i think 16 now is the is the age for vaccination but you know really high vaccination rates in the blue states but in the red states or in red counties excuse me there are red counties and you know like this one in missouri that the that the ap story that there's a link to off my piece on hartman report there's a county with a 15 percent rate i mean you know this is very very serious stuff Chaz in lakewood washington hey Chaz, what's on your mind today (laughs) <laughs> Buenos dias, mi hermano. <laughs> Como usted? Long-time listener, long-winded caller. Hey, <laughs>
0: listen, I've been listening to you for 837 years, and uh, yeah, it's, uh the news is not always... You and me and Methuselah. <laughs> oh, man. So, I just, real quick, I just, it's a short little message here, I just what everybody else is calling the Delta variant. I'm starting to think of it in terms of the Dixie variant. This is a, sort of a, kind of a Darwinism in
3: action, Tom. Yeah, maybe, maybe we should refer to it as the Darwin variant. Keep, keep the D. Uh, yeah, yeah, it seems appropriate somehow. Cause it really, I mean, I realize this sounds kind of crass and cynical, but I'm gonna say it anyway people in these red counties who think that chloroquine or Jesus is going to prevent them from getting sick, or Donald Trump is going to prevent them from getting sick, if they just do what he says, they are going to win the Darwin Award.
0: (laughs) Just like Jesus prevented them from living in a mobile home.
3: Yeah, well, that's a whole other thing. But yes, this is, in fact, my op-ed is titled and get to the top of it is titled vaccine passports could save us from trump's final massacre and this is this is the thing i think I, I really think chaz that this this is something donald trump set up he's the one who spread the idea that masks make you look unmanly and weak he's the one who spread the idea that you don't need a vaccine he's the one who got vaccinated in secret we didn't even learn that mm-hmm. he and melania and, and presumably their son had been vaccinated until after he left the white house and it leaked I mean, this is, this guy is doing everything he can to set up a, a situation that, that kills as many Americans as possible, it certainly appears.
0: Perception is reality. And you know what? These uh, red states better start coming up with their excuses how to blame the Democrats for this.
3: Yeah, good luck on that. Good luck on that. Chaz, thanks for the call. Although I'm guessing you're right, they will figure out a way to do it. The question is, will it stick? Anyhow, thanks so much for the call. let me just dig a little deeper into this or go the next step on this the challenge that i think that we're facing here right now and this is the op-ed i published over at hartman report the headline vaccine passports could save us from trump's final massacre and you know and i asked the question will will the next few months be a great awakening in america for people in red counties and i'm saying counties because even red states have blue counties and the blue counties tend to have vaccination rates well above 70%. And in red red counties, you've got vaccination rates as low as 10 and 15%. I mean, this one one guy, what's his name, Uh, Steve Edwards, he's the CEO of the Cox Health Hospital chain in Missouri. He tweets, the Delta variant is in the Ozarks. We've been interviewed by NPR, CBS News, MSNBC, AP, Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN, New York Times, but not Fox News. And he's literally tweeting to Tucker Carlson saying, please warn people. Why? Because their ICU is filling up. They've got a county that's got a 15% vaccination rate. This virus, which is multiple times, you know, when, when Dr. Feigolding says it's, you know, it's three and a half to four times, as, that's 350 to 400% more deadly, more contagious. It's just, I, and that's comparing it to, the, to the, the, what you, we used to call the UK variant, the alpha variant, which was twice as contagious as the original COVID. And now it's gone from 10% to 30% in this country in, a, in two weeks. We got hospital chains freaking out. And this all goes back to Donald Trump trying to keep the economy open. I mean, Trump, politically speaking, Trump was no idiot. He knew that whenever the economy goes in the tank during an election year, the incumbent, whoever's in power, loses the election. It's just, it's like a law of nature. You can track this back to the to the john quincy adams administration or well actually maybe to the john adams administration i don't know if there's an economic factor there but john quincy they were both one-term presidents in fact i think our first two one-term presidents you know back in the day and so trump didn't want the economy to fall apart and so what did he do he said hey keep going to work keep shopping stay out there don't wear a mask make sure pretend everything's normal because he thought that would get him reelected. It didn't work out. But the right wing followed him like lemmings and they're still preaching this. They're preaching it on right wing hate radio. As I speak, I guarantee you, there are right wing hosts all across America telling people, "Oh, it's just a hoax and it's, it's some democrat hoax and all, you know. And it's going to kill people." We have 600,000 dead Americans already, and now we've got a variant that's that's hundred, you know, hundreds of percent more contagious and more deadly. And you can get it just, literally by just walking by somebody. You don't have to have a conversation with them and inhale a lot of their air. Just literally walking by. This is serious stuff. This is very serious stuff. So the question: Have you had any success at convincing your vax uh, reluctant neighbors or friends? You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. How do we present this to Trump polls and people who are addicted to Fox News and right-wing radio who just don't know this? How do you tell them? Tom Hartman here with you. So I just want to expand on this a little bit here. New York has now rolled out a coronavirus passport. California just announced this the governor of California Gavin Newsom came out and it was so funny because he said this is not a passport it's an electronic certificate here's his exact quote he says I want to make this crystal clear before folks run with it it has become so politicized almost everything in the state nation that there's no mandates no requirement no passports in that respect but and then you know he holds it up this is here it is and here's the bottom line I mean without Without knowing that the places that we are visiting are low risk, with a variant that's so contagious that even go into a drive-up window, I mean, just even passing a little bit of air between people is enough that you get it, don't you think it's time to take this really, really seriously? Shouldn't we as a country be taking this really, really seriously? And shouldn't we be doing vaccine passports? I am strongly of the opinion that this is the thing, this is the thing that will save us from Trump's final massacre. Because that's what's going on. Trump set this thing up. You've got red state America that is unprotected and there's a monster coming. And blue state America, pretty, pretty protected. And yeah, if you've only got 94% protection from hospitalization or death, as Dr. Feigelding points out, even if you're fully vaccinated with Pfizer or Moderna, you know, with the two-shot mRNA vaccines, even if you're only 94% protected, if you are in an environment where everyone else is similarly vaccinated, even when people get vaccinated, even when they get a breakthrough infection, it's so mild that, you know, the best science or the best uh, speculation from scientists is that people, if they are contagious at all, they are only mildly contagious. So if I'm going to get on an airplane, I don't want to get on an airplane until I know that everybody else on that airplane, particularly the guy I'm sitting next to, has been vaccinated. You know, Louise and I have not, there's one restaurant down the road from us where they've got outdoor seating. We went there and we had lunch one day, outdoors. And they're spacing their tables six feet apart. God bless them. But, you know, Oregon is on the verge. I mean, our governor said that once we hit 70% vaccination statewide, which has got to be like, you know, for Multnomah County, for, for the Portland area, uh, it's, it's got to be like over 90%. I mean, we had 23 new cases in, in, in Portland yesterday. 23 cases, not hospitalizations, they're just diagnoses, right? It's down to nothing because everyone here in Portland is vaccinated. But, you know, you go to other parts of the country. Well, Louise and I did this uh, you know, two weekends ago. I told you about it on the air. I, you know, We visited a sweet little tourist town here in Portland. It's about an hour and a half drive from Portland. And surprise, surprise, maybe 10% of the people we saw were wearing masks, maybe. And the restaurants were packed. No six foot spacing, no mask. They're all defying the governor. They're all defying the rules. Because our governor said that once we hit 70%, then, hey, restaurants can fill up. Well, that's going to happen in a week or so. They were expecting it to happen June 21st, and it hasn't happened yet. It'll probably happen in the next week or so. But I think they're going to have to reconsider this. And whether they reconsider it or not, I can tell you, just speaking for myself, I am not willing to go into a restaurant unless they're checking vaccine cards at the door. And I don't, frankly, I don't know of any restaurants that are advertising that they're doing that in Portland. And I think that that would become. A powerful, competitive edge for a restaurant, particularly in a city where you have 80% or higher vaccination rates, as is the case, like in New York City or here, and probably in most big cities, very, very high vaccination rates, because I don't want some idiot sitting next to me who thinks chloroquine or Jesus is going to save him coughing all over his food and thus all over me. I'm not interested in having a breakthrough infection. I'm fully vaccinated with Pfizer, but it's still 94%. That's not 100%. If I knew the odds that my driving into town to visit my grandkids were only 94% that I'd survive the trip, there was a a 6% chance I'd die on the way. That's like, what, a 1 in 13, 1 in 15 chance? I can't do math in my head that fast, but something like that, would you go? we need vaccine passports in this country. We need them now. I want them here in Oregon. Kate Brown, if you're listening, our governor or anybody in her office, I I know there's quite a few Oregon politicians who monitor this show. Let's get some damn vaccine passports. Uh, You know, you want to put this, you want to put the the economy of this state back into play. The reason I, I realize we're having an economic boom right now, but it's largely being driven by just a couple of things like housing. And people figure, OK, I can get one guy coming into my house or maybe a crew of two or three guys who are who are all vaccinated and still wearing masks and they can you know, remodel a bathroom or something. And, and the risk is fairly low. And that's all true. But are you going to go into a restaurant where there's 40 people? When there's no requirement that everybody be vaccinated? And somebody in the corner with a Delta variant or the Delta Plus There's now a variant to the, to the Delta variant. It's called the the Delta Plus variant, and uh, this is from the BBC. In quote, India's health ministry says studies show that the so-called Delta Plus variant, also known as AY1, spreads more easily, binds more easily to lung cells, and is potentially resistant to monoclonal antibody therapy, a potent intravenous infusion of antibodies to neutralize the virus. Remember when Anthony Fauci went on TV a couple of months ago and said, hey, If you've got COVID, go to your doctor and get these monoclonal antibodies. It's an infusion, you have to sit there for a half hour while it drips into your bloodstream. This is if you're not vaccinated, or even if you are vaccinated and you're you're feeling sick. Well, the variant of the Delta variant, the Delta Plus variant, according to the Health Ministry for the Country of India, monoclonal antibodies don't touch it. I want vaccine passports and I want them now. I wanna know that if I'm gonna go into a store Louise was in, uh, over at Home Depot yesterday, and she said that, uh, you know, uh, she saw five people not wearing masks, just walking around not wearing masks, inside the store. The store has a great big sign out front that says, masks required. But these are mask holes, right? They're people who are, you know, like, hey, I dare you, make me. And the store is like, eh, you know, we're not going to fight that fight. It's not our job. We're not the mask police. Anyhow, I think this is what we have to do. This is the great challenge. Carol in Minnesota, Pennsylvania. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind today?
1: Hi, Tom. Yeah, this is so disturbing. Apparently, Trump has had such an infection on people as far as this uh, COVID vaccine goes. My grown children of first marriage, their father was a writer, hard right uh, wing publication. And of course, they're still close to him and he's having an influence on them now my oldest child the one i'm speaking of his wife has scleroderma which means that if she catches COVID, it will surely kill her their daughter their grandson none of that family is willing to get vaccinated now my son is a college graduate i mean My daughter is a college graduate. There's another child involved. They have none of them gotten vaccinated. I have tried everything I know. I'm at my wit's end. I do not know what to say to these people. Maybe you you can help me.
3: You might want to go over to HartmanReport.com, not to plug my site, but I I pulled together all this stuff in one article, and it's free, and there's no ads. And today's article, you can just forward to them. And it's got all the links to all the, all these stories. I mean, as a starting point. Carol, I'm sorry, I don't have a Tom better answer. Hartman.
0: Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive.
3: Or you can track down the AP story about the Delta Plus variant and then the Australian stories about what's happening there and the, and the BBC story. But it's all in that article at Hartman Report. Pete in San Bernardino are listening to KPFK. Hey, Pete, what's up? Tom, please
0: allow me to ask two questions. One, is it true that the contagion of this virus, you can get it through your eyes? Well, that through was a concern
3: eyes? early on because there are some diseases. I mean, this was the experience of the Ebola. That people would, you know, cough and gag and spit and it literally would get in, in the eyes of medical workers and they would get Ebola that way. So when COVID first started, you had a lot of medical workers who were not only wearing masks, they were also wearing face shields just in case. It looks like, well, I don't know if that's if that's a danger or not. This virus. Binds to the uh, ACE receptors, the uh, angiotensin, uh, which is a, a hormone that regulates blood pressure, and it's on the surface of, of, in particular, blood vessels. And the lungs are filled with blood vessels. There's, there's like you know, a, a you know, <laughs> half an acre of blood vessels. There's some mind-boggling amount of surface area, blood vessels in the lungs, and that's why. The vast majority and probably you know 99 point something but i don't you know I, I've, I've never seen exact numbers but everybody says the vast majority of this transmission is airborne and it's through inhalation it gets stuck in the nose where you've got which is ha- highly vascularized lots of blood vessels and in the lungs so um you know uh, okay the, the, so question number two yeah question number two you were talking
0: about the tax on carbon and all that stuff god gave us why aren't we looking into geothermal heating for the to make electricity? Well, we are in the power. places
3: where it's practical, and and uh, it's practical
0: I, everywhere, Tom. There's there's hot spots all over everywhere Yeah,
3: it, it depends on the state you're in pete but yeah and and in some of the places where it's available they should be using a lot more of it uh you know i've been to iceland where Reykjavik, the, the whole city yeah, is running exactly, on geothermal they exactly. they exactly you know, it's amazing and and they should be doing more of that in the united states i agree with you um uh, but we're okay, not seeing well, that why aren't we pushing that we should
0: be pushing that instead of trying to
3: burn up burn wood yeah. burn no, I get it. I totally get it. Thanks a lot for the call. By the way, when we uh, right after this break and when we rejoin uh, SiriusXM, Senator Sanders will be with us. Mike in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, hey, Mike.
0: Hey, Tom. A couple quick notes. One I saw on NBC last night. I, I believe they've dropped the uh, resistance on Delta to 88% for the two shot and 66 for the single shot. Oh my. So you may wanna check that. Yeah. Uh, so it's actually, it's worse than we thought, number one. Number two, um, children under 12 can't be vaccinated and they're spreading it and there's no doubt about it. This yes. is gonna be a war on children. That's yeah. gonna be the final Trump thing is to kill a lot well, of Well, and kids. that was one of the and points
3: then, that Dr. Feigl ding made was the kids are getting it. And yes, I agree with you. This is I'm calling this Donald Trump's second massacre. He set this situation up where people in red states think that wearing masks means you're weak and getting vaccinated means that you're a guinea pig neither of those things are true. And it's not just Trump. Now that Trump said it, it's been picked up by right-wing hate radio all across the country. you got Fox News, Tucker Carlson, literally the president of the Cox Hospital chain in Missouri, where in a county that has a 15% vaccination rate, is on Twitter begging Tucker Carlson to talk about the Delta variant. Begging him. It's insane. Mike, thank you for the call. And we will be right back with Senator Sanders. Stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today is Mortal Republic, How Rome Fell into Tyranny by Edward J. Watts. This is from the first chapter, which I think is really more like an introduction. This book explains why Rome, still one of the longest-lived republics in world history, traded the liberty of political autonomy for the security of autocracy. It's written at a moment when modern readers need to be particularly aware of both the nature of the republics and the consequences of their failure. We live in a time of political crisis when the structures of republics as diverse as the United States, Venezuela, France, and Turkey are threatened. Many of these republics are the constitutional descendants of Rome, and as such, they have inherited both the tremendous structural strengths that allowed the Roman Republic to thrive for so long, and some of the same structural weaknesses that led eventually to its demise. This is particularly true of the United States, a nation whose basic constitutional structure was deliberately patterned on the idealized view of the Roman Republic presented by the second century BC author Polybius. This conscious borrowing from Rome's model makes it vital for all of us to understand how Rome's Republic worked, what it achieved, and why, after nearly five centuries, its citizens ultimately turned away from it and toward the autocracy of Augustus. No Republic is eternal. It lives only as long as its citizens want it. And in both the 21st century AD and the first century BC, When a republic fails to work as intended, its citizens are capable of choosing the stability of autocratic rule over the chaos of a broken republic. When freedom leads to disorder and autocracy promises a functional and responsive government, even citizens of an established republic can become willing to set aside long-standing principled objections to the rule of one man and embrace its practical benefits. Rome offers a lesson about how citizens and leaders of a republic might avoid forcing their fellow citizens to make such a tortured choice. Rome shows that the basic, most important function of a republic is to create a political space that is governed by laws, fosters compromise, shares government responsibility among a group of representatives, and rewards good stewardship. Politics in such a republic should not be a zero-sum game. The politician who wins a political struggle may be honored, but one who loses should not be punished. The Roman Republic did not encourage its leaders to seek complete and total political victory. It was not designed to force one side to accept everything the other wanted. Instead, it offered tools that, like the American filibuster, served to keep the process of political negotiation going until a mutually agreeable compromise was found. This process worked very well in Rome for centuries, but it worked only because most Roman politicians accepted the laws and norms of the Roman Republic they committed to working out their disputes in the political arena that the republic established rather than through violence in the streets. Republican Rome succeeded in this more than perhaps any other state before or since. If the early and middle centuries of Rome's republic show how effective this system can be, the last century of the Roman republic reveals the tremendous dangers that result when political leaders cynically misuse their consensus these consensus-building mechanisms to obstruct a republic's functions. Like politicians in modern republics, Romans could use vetoes to block votes on laws. They could claim the presence of unfavorable religious conditions to annul votes they disliked. And they could deploy other parliamentary tools to slow down or shut down the political process if it seemed to be moving too quickly toward an outcome that they disliked. When used as intended, these tools help promote negotiations and political compromises by preventing majorities from imposing solutions on minorities. But in Rome, as in our world, politicians could also employ such devices to prevent the republic from doing what its citizens needed. The widespread misuse of these tools offered the first signs of sickness in Rome's republic. Much more serious threats to republics appear when arguments between politicians spill out from the controlled environments of representative assemblies and degenerate into violent confrontations between ordinary people in the streets. Romans had avoided political violence for three centuries before a series of political murders rocked the Republic in the 130s and 120s BC. Once mob violence infected Roman politics, however, the institutions of the Republic quickly lost their ability to control the contexts and content of political disputes. Within a generation of the first political assassination in Rome, politicians had begun to arm their supporters and use the threat of violence to influence the votes of assemblies, And the elections of magistrates within two generations rome fell into civil war and two generations later augustus ruled as roman emperor when the republic lost the ability to regulate the rewards given to political victors and the punishments inflicted on the losers of political conflicts roman politics became a zero-sum game in which the winner reaped massive rewards and the losers often paid with their lives Above all else, the Roman Republic teaches the citizens of its modern descendants the incredible dangers that come along with condoning political obstruction and courting political violence. Roman history could not more clearly show that when citizens look away as their leaders engage in these corrosive behaviors, the Republic is in mortal danger. Unpunished political dysfunction prevents consensus and encourages violence. In Rome, it eventually led Romans to trade the Republic for the security of an autocracy. This is how a republic dies, mortal republic. Welcome back. Senator Bernie Sanders is on the line with us. He is the chair of the Senate Budget Committee, uh, one of the most, uh, frankly, one of the most powerful positions in the U.S. Senate, and an old friend of the show, sanders.senate.gov, of course, his website and his Twitter handle, send Sanders, as in Senator. Senator, welcome back. What's going on with this uh, infrastructure, Bill? I know you're in the thick of it, or is there something else at the top of your mind that you want well, to bring up? Well, no,
0: it, it, it's, well, it's infrastructure, but it's a lot more than infrastructure, I'll tell you that. Tom, what we are working on right now Will be the most consequential legislation passed if we can get it passed since the 1930s. And what we are doing is taking a hard look at what's going on in America and attempting to address the many crises that working families are facing. So what you've got in America now is, you well know, I know you talk about it every day, is the people on top of doing phenomenally well. Ordinary people are struggling. Real wages in American inflation, accounted wages haven't gone up in 48 years. You got almost 600,000 people sleeping out on the street. Those are the issues that we have got to deal with. So what we are doing right now is working on a very broad piece of legislation, incorporating but expanding upon what the president sent us. And that means yes, we are going to build roads and bridges and put people back to work. A good paying Jobs. We're going to do that, but we're going to do more than that. Uh, We recognize, unlike uh, some of my Republican colleagues, that climate change is a major, major threat to this country and to the world. The United States has got a lead in the transition away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy. We're going to put a whole lot of money into that, and that means creating millions more good paying jobs, including a civilian climate corps which will put a lot of young people to work at good-paying jobs. We're also going to deal with the crisis in child care, in pre-K, in paid family and medical leave. You know we are the only major country not to have paid family and medical leave. We're going to expand Medicare to cover dental, eyeglasses, and hearing aids because a whole lot of seniors cannot afford to go to a dentist or to get a hearing aid we are going to expand the child tax credit which people are going to begin to receive in their accounts in mid july that's about three hundred bucks per child which is very important we're working to pay for the expansion of medicare by lowering the cost uh, by having medicare negotiate prescription drug prices with the pharmaceutical industry we are paying the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs and that has got to and so that's some of what we are doing in this major piece of
3: legislation. So you've got this group of so-called moderate Democrats and Republicans who are getting together and negotiating what appears to be a little teeny tiny piece of the overall infrastructure and it, it kind of looks to me like Joe Biden President Biden is patting them on the head and saying okay that's fine we'll incorporate this but the big plan is to throw that into this much larger bill do I have that right and are you planning Not on getting this too. through reconciliation? You know, you're in
0: you're into inside the beltway politics, which is very convoluted. Yeah. To say the least. <laughs> yes. First of all, we don't even know it's in this so called bipartisan bill and we don't know how it's gonna be paid for. We do know okay. Republicans don't wanna raise taxes on the wealthy or large corporations. So we don't know again how they're going to pay for it but what they want to spend money on is reasonable. They want to spend money in areas that need to be addressed and that is roads and bridges and uh water systems and wastewater plants etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So if in fact a bipartisan bill is passed what I can tell you is it will be passed in connection with a large what we call reconciliation bill that I've been talking about. It will not be one or the other. If that bipartisan bill is passed it will be very clear that we are going to go forward with a much larger bill.
3: A couple of weeks ago, it was reported that the Senate parliamentarian said, You can't do that. You can't use reconciliation to get around a filibuster. Is that still a problem? No. Why not? No.
0: Again, this is inside rules here, and I'm sure everybody is terribly interested in the Byrd rules. All of this is about is reconciliation is primarily dealing with budgetary matters, mm-hmm. not policy. So what you can't do, which is a problem, what you cannot do in reconciliation is come up with broad policy changes. Mm-hmm. But you can, of course, spend money and impact the budget.
3: So you can, you, can, you know, uh, you can raise
0: money, you can spend money. Right. And what we are, we are intending to do is pay for a lot of what we are talking about by demanding that the wealthy and large corporations finally start paying. Amen. F-
3: what should our listeners be doing right now?
0: should be making sure that every member of the House and every member of the Senate is going to vote for a massive and significant piece of legislation to transform the lives
3: of tens of millions of Americans. And what's the best way to communicate with them?
0: Get on the phone, call up your senator, call up your House member, email them as well.
3: I'm hearing from my callers literally in dozens of states that when they try to call the republican senators or the republican members of the house it always goes to voicemail no human being answers the phone what do they do
0: that's a good question i mean i think you know presumably people will listen i mean that's really a bad practice it really Uh, is i would hope that at least they listen to their voicemails and you know if they get thousands of calls you know, somebody
3: will be paying attention. Yeah, so to persist, in other words. Yes, I got it. Senator Sanders, thank you so much for the great work you're doing, and thanks for dropping by the show today. It's always wonderful talking with you. Thank you. Good. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Bye bye. Yeah. Have a good one, Senator Bernie Sanders. Greg in Mountain Home, Arkansas. You got a quick one?
0: Yeah, Tom. There's
3: another variant. It's from Brazil. You're talking gamma. It's Gamma, yeah. yeah. And they thought they had reached herd immunity down there. They didn't. And they were shocked when they got to 76 to 78% clearance. It was a town that straddles the Amazon and the country, Manassas or something like mm-hmm. that. Manassas. And right so you know about that right? i do yeah and and uh and this is why in brazil right now there are protests against bolsonaro because you know he was the guy who yeah. was pushing the herd immunity he was donald trump's best friend greg thank you but thanks for here too yeah, yeah oh in arkansas yeah i totally get it. greg thank you it's great to hear from you we will be back in the meantime don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport get out there get active tag you are it